All right. Um, Chris, you can talk about how, how, uh, how warm it was in Honduras. It'll be a good, good setting here. So um, Chris is going to tell us a little bit about what he's been doing. Um, and uh, we're just excited to hear everything that you've done. And come on, come on up here, Chris. Chris Wyatt, everyone. We'll get you a mic. Uh, praise God, I see a lot of new faces since I was here, obviously, six months ago. So, um, But it's funny, you know, people have been asking me how my Spanish is, if I'm bilingual and stuff yet, and I still think it's gotten worse since I left. It's amazing. Um, but no, it's crazy, like, since I've been home, though, first off, like, like, just randomly, I'll just be speaking more Spanish than I was in Honduras. And even, like, gestures and stuff, like, um, the other day, like, in Honduras, if you want to, like, say you're going to pick something up, you say, hey, like that, and you kind of do that. And, like, when I first was there, like, I was walking around, and, like, girls would go, like that, I was like, hey, you know, whatever. And then it got really weird, like, a week into it, and a guy did that to me, and I was like, Ugh. And so I asked, I was like, dude, what in the world is wrong with this country? And, like, that's what they told me. So, like, if I do this, I'm not blowing kisses, I promise you, at you. So I'm still getting used to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, no. But it's it's been crazy. Um, I mean, Justin messaged me uh, yesterday, and it's just been it's been nonstop since I've gotten back. I mean, I, I remember, you know, in, in in Honduras, you have a lot of like days take forever there. Uh, you're not as busy, you know. When I came back here, it's just been nonstop, and you know, it's been good, but it's just kind of you know, obviously the culture shock. Um, so. I really didn't have a lot to prepare because yesterday when he messaged me, he was like, hey, do you want to speak? And I was like, yeah. Then I was thinking, all right, it's college football. So, like, you know, it was very difficult. So, anyways, I'll be kind of brief. Um, but I just want to thank everybody uh, from the bottom of my heart for everything you all did for the past six months. I mean, you have no idea. Um, like I said, I mean, I've been stretched more than I ever thought possibly I could be stretched. Um, I mean, because like I said, you have a lot of a lot of downtime, a lot of thinking time, which is good. Um, but at the same time, it can be difficult, um, you know, when you don't, you're, you're like a kid over there. You can't just hop in a car and walk around. I mean, you're kind of uh, stuck to where you're at. And, you know, it's not missions. Uh, you can't, it's like uh, somebody told me when I got there, another missionary, like, don't expect 24-7. That's just not possible. So, you know, every day you did something, but when it was over, it's just you in a house or trying to, trying to not necessarily pass time, but trying to stay busy. Um, so obviously I just want to thank everybody for all their encouraging words, support. Um, you know, obviously, like I say on my post, you know, I don't look for praise. Um, I'm just a vessel and obviously everything that I did over there that God allowed me to do, y'all did it as well because it was because of y'all prayer and support that I was even able to even get there. So I just want to thank everybody for that. Um, Whenever, I don't know if, who was here, obviously, when I was speaking three months ago, but I'll kind of explain what I did the past three months. Um, when I got back to Honduras, uh, we have a thing called a Dream Center. I don't know if anybody followed on Facebook, but basically the Dream Center was in a, it's funny, you know that Pokemon Go game? Well, anyways, it, it was somehow big in Honduras, too. Um, and one of the kids that went with us to the Dream Center, because it's, it's right outside of San Pedro Sula. It's in. It's called La Lopez. It's like a little community. 
And I didn't realize how dangerous it was until this happened. This is like a month ago. One of the kids had his phone, and he started playing Pokemon Go when he got to the Dream Center. And he is one of the kids that was helping us like in, uh, at the church I went to there, volunteer. And he got his phone out, and next thing you know, it popped up on his phone. It said, do not play Pokemon Go in this area. This is a dangerous, dangerous area. I was like, well, okay, this isn't good. So... Uh, I didn't realize how dangerous La Lopez was because Honduras in general is just very dangerous. But, you know, having said all that, like, it's amazing to see the kids there. Um, we had, we started off when I got back. Uh, we finished up the house. Uh, we kind of did some stuff to allow kids to come in because, you know, it took days cleaning it up. Um, but we had kids, four, that started off because we didn't want to open it up to everybody. Um, we had like four street kids, and we were figuring it out, you know, as we go. Um, so anyways, the next couple of weeks, it was amazing. I mean, we had up to most every week, we had about 20, 25 kids. And it was crazy because these kids literally looked forward to this every Friday. They would see our car pulling in, and they would just start running, most of the street kids and stuff. Um, one of the kids, he... Uh, it, it just took me back. I was asking some of the kids, like, hey, why do you like to come here, you know? And he looked at me, and he said that it gives him a place to go um, because he has nowhere to go. And I'm just like, my gosh. Like, it just hits you hard, um, and you almost want to do it every day, you know. But anyways, it, 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 it it's very tough. Um, obviously, I haven't had time to kind of, think everything through and kind of, you know, debrief everything because it's been crazy since I've been back here. Um, but, you know, one of the most, uh, the biggest impact on me, there's a kid, I know uh, Justin posted the picture uh, yesterday, it's a kid named Andy, and a year ago, uh, he's an orphan, uh, and he just took my heart a year ago when I went to Honduras, and anyways, like, he's always on my mind and everything, so I made sure when I got to Honduras you know, this past summer that I was going to go see them. So I saw him like two or three times, which is amazing. But the last time, uh, this is about a month ago, uh, we were there and whoever the leader was of our group said, hey, take a kid and ask them uh, if they need any prayer. And we've never done this before, really. So like I asked Andy, uh, if there anything you could pray for? And he just looked at me crying and was like, I just, I want to go to heaven. And I thinking in my head, this kid's a nine-year-old orphan, thinking he probably wants a mom, he wants a dad, you know, a house. There's no telling what I was going to hear. And when he said that, it just, it hit me so hard. So I, I was able to take him to the side and, you know, not just say, hey, repeat this prayer, but actually explain the gospel to him uh, for 10 minutes. It was amazing. And uh, just kind of going back and forth and explaining what sin is and what God did for us on the cross. And at that moment, this nine-year-old kid accepted Christ. And I... I, I uh, I mean, I wept and I wept just to think that, you know, whatever I do, you know, here, whatever it was done, obviously you can't see. I won't know this side of earth what was, how I was impacted. Um, only in eternity I'll see. But to know that this child, you know, is not now an orphan, that he is a son of God, um, you know, that, that to me just is just humbling and, and it was amazing. Um, but anyways, uh, so, I mean, there's so much that happened. Obviously, I haven't even time. Like, when he told me to speak yesterday, I'm thinking, dude, I don't even remember. Like, it just felt like I was there for six years. Uh, 
but it's been great being back and then of course being here as well and then I'm I have uh, like I met with because believe it or not the it's called Grace for Nations who I was there with it's it's only me and another guy who actually did it like you know you think there's other organizations that were there they're doing different things in Honduras I mean but you got teams of 30 40 50 and it was me and one other guy and man it was it was a lot but it was amazing and and most amazing experience and my heart's still there um you know but i talked to the uh the leaders of that organization and you know i have plans to continue for the dream center uh in the sense of from this side of the states because you can't get funding and stuff really in honduras because people really don't have a you know a lot of money there so these next couple of months, I'm going to, you know, kind of pray about it and we're going to still communicate because that Dream Center, I mean, that was the, probably the toughest thing to do to leave because it's like a baby. I mean, you, you started from the ground with this thing and then you just watch it grow. Then you see those kids go in there. Um, so anyways, I'll eventually uh, start posting stuff and, and, and figure that side out of it, you know, but obviously these next couple of months, I'm just going to pray about it and see where God leads me um, to definitely make an impact still for the Dream Center because it's amazing what the vision is for that because you have no idea what those kids just go through on a daily basis and how much that just one day a week just being there, it means the world to them. So anyways, like I said, I know I will eventually, once I debrief everything, I can, there's so much more that happened, um, and I really wasn't prepared a whole lot to speak. Um, but it was uh, definitely amazing, and like I said, I've been stretched more than I ever think I could be stretched, and I just want to tell every single person, thank you so much for everything. You no idea how much I appreciate it. So. And it was uh, it was fun. The first trip we took, I, Chris went with us on our trip um, before he went for his, his longer time, and it was pretty cool to get to know Chris because I was like, I don't think we're having anything in common. He's into sports and under sports, and he like works out all the time. Like, not really into it. But man, like as soon as we started talking, man, we just kind of hit it off. We both, you know, just like similar styles of music too. And then um, it's just really cool to get to know Chris on that trip too, and just to know his heart. And I'm just so encouraged by everything he's doing. So it's really cool. And I did. I, I kind of I threw it on him. I was like, wait a minute, Chris is back. Hey, do you want to speak tomorrow? <laughs> he was like, sure. So there you go. Um, but I do have a message for you, and I'll try to make it brief. I know it's hot in here, and, and, uh, and you just, you just have to deal with it. Because <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, we'll, we'll, yes. Oh, yeah, kids. Uh, children's Church. See, I'm all over the place. Guys, follow AJ if you go to Children's Church. We're going to dismiss for that. We, <laughs> yeah, kids have air. Let's all go to the spot. No. <laughs> That's one way to get volunteers. Y'all know what I'm doing. We can get volunteers in the children's church. Um, but I will try to make it quick. Um, if I was going to title this, I would title it Safety Not Guaranteed just because I like that was a really good in- independent movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's pretty good. Um, but there's uh, Chris and I actually not that long ago, a couple weeks ago, we took I, if any of you guys know me, I, I like to buy and sell and trade and barter, <laughs> and I, do, I did that a lot, and I kind of worked my way up from, uh, from jet skis to four-wheelers to a Jeep. I've been wanting a Jeep since I sold my last one years ago, and I finally worked my way up and got another Jeep, 
And so uh, it was pretty interesting that, that uh, I finally got, and it's, it's just rough enough that I can take it off-road and it's not too nice or anything like that. And so, uh, so Chris and I had an opportunity to take it off-road, and what's interesting about it is it's completely impractical on the road. It's got mud tires, they're big knobby tires, and they're loud and obnoxious. It has no carpet, literally has a sticker on the tunnel where the transmission is that says if you take the carpet out, it'll burn your feet, and it will burn your feet because it's hot. It's not aerodynamic at all. It's completely impractical. It's terrible gas mileage. Um, and I've recently even put a locker in the front, which makes it even worse to drive uh, on the road, especially in four-wheel drive. But if you take it off-road, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so much so that even Chris said, this is fun. I don't know why. I mean, we're just driving. <laughs> but this is fun. But there's something about it when you take it in its environment that it's kind of designed to be, and especially since I've even built it even more to do that, it, it's kind of neat to see it function and move, and all those things that don't work real well on the road work really well off-road. I mean, this thing, will, it'll climb up stuff and crawl down stuff, and it's kind of sketchy and kind of scary, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> we don't even know why sometimes. But it's, I think because it's, it's, it's working in the environment that it's really designed for, um, and a lot of my friends make fun of me because it's a Jeep, and they call it a bro Jeep, and it's just like a mall crawler because they have, like, other types of vehicles and stuff. And I'm like, no, it, it's good off-road. And it's legitimately a really good off-road vehicle. But on the road, it is not good at all. It's, it's pretty miserable. It's all over the place, and it's just a rough Jeep. Um, I said all that to say I think sometimes we try to function outside of our environments. We try to put things in places that they don't go. And in our lives, we do the same thing. Now, in the very beginning, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, too. In the very beginning, God breathed life into us. <laughs> I see kids go by, and then Andrea. Um, God breathed life into us, and it was, it was Zoe life. It was real life. Um, and then we, we kind of broke that covenant when we, when we ate of the, knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, instead of the tree of life. Well, then Jesus came back and reinstated that, right? He brought us back to life. We were spiritually dead. When we talk about being dead in the scriptures, I've always put that off as death. He beat death, just death. Now, that was part of it, but how, how many of you know he didn't just die so that you'd go to heaven? That's not why Jesus, Jesus died because of relationship. He wanted to bring you back into relationship with himself. Now, that's current. That's the moment you're born again, you're brought back into this relationship with him, and eternal life starts then, not when you die. People in heaven don't need you. They're good. <laughs> They're okay. So we were born again, and we have new life, spiritual life. He breathes life into us again. And so when I began to look at this, I looked at John. If you guys have your Bible, I'm in John 20, verse 19. Now, what kind of started me thinking about this, especially about the whole Jeep story, too, is uh, I taught in youth. I was telling them about what they consider successful. And, and about 90% of them said something having to do with money. Someone that has a lot of money, they're famous, people like them. But a lot of it had to do with being famous and having a lot of money. Now, it's interesting, most of them, most of the youth group, we've got a couple older ones, but most of them are young, 6th grade, around that age, 6th, 7th grade, and already this culture has told them what success looks like. Now, I'm not saying they're completely lost, and you know, but something is telling them what successful is, and all I did was ask them. I didn't premise it with anything. I just told them, I asked them, hey, what do you think successful is? And 90% of them said that, and then the rest of them pretty much said the, uh, something to the effect of, if you, to the root of it, would be the approval of others which is another thing that, that we can deal with here too. Um, but verse 19, we're going to get into the story real quick. Um, Therefore, it was, it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut and locked, the disciples were, or where the disciples were, fear, I can't even read. Doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now, this is after Mary Magdalene had already seen Jesus. Now, Jesus is coming to disciples who are literally locked 
and hiding in a room because they're afraid of persecution. Now, these are the same disciples that have walked with Jesus and seen miracles and seen all these things. He's explained to them, I don't know how many times, about how this is a spiritual thing that's going on, not a physical thing, and they still don't get it. They're afraid for their lives. So they're hiding, holding each other, shaking, scared. And Jesus just walks in through the wall, just like, hey, guys. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you, as though you're going to be peaceful when you see somebody walk through a wall. But he's like, okay, calm down. It's okay. It's me. He says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar? He's reinstating that same thing. that God's heart from the very beginning was to give us life, real life. We talked about this last week. Not just bios life, zoe life, real life. And so he breathes on them and gives them life. And says, If any... Uh, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, we've taken this and made this almost like we are, are like judge and jury that we can tell people like who can get in and out of the club, and that's not at all what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you can go out and you can broadcast this message of the gospel, the good news, and that people can be saved. He's saying that this is, this is the power that I'm giving you. Not that you can tell people that they're saved or not, but as soon as you say it and they believe it, it happens. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit that happens in them, and it's not even up to you. Amen. Amen. So verse 24, he says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, um, also called the twin, I don't know why, was not with them. When Jesus came, the, the other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I, unless I shall see his hands and the imprint of the nails and put my fingers into the place the nails were and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now he's very adamant about this. And after eight days, dum dum dum, <laughs> his disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you again. Now, here's what I find interesting is he's already shown himself to all the other disciples, but he comes back just for the one, just for Thomas, because he knows Thomas is doubting. And he breaks through that wall that they think they're hiding behind, that they think they're secure in. They lock their doors. And he says, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and, and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and, and believe. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said, said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see me and yet believe. That's us. Now, what's interesting is what's happening here is these guys are scared. They're literally physically trembling and scared because they're afraid of being persecuted. And they've retreated to what they believe is someplace secure, and they've locked the doors. Now, we'll skip a little bit forward to 21. It said, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. They were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, We'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing, but when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, uh, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, children, you, you do not have any fish, do you? <laughs> they answered him, no, no strange man on the beach. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. Now you have to, you have to think, they're thinking, deja vu. <laughs> this has happened before. This sounds eerily familiar. They cast their, they cast their net. 
and they were not able to haul it in because there was such a great number of fish. Also very familiar. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John who wrote the book, <laughs> who's calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Peter heard this, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and jumped into the water. Peter wasn't the smartest guy in the world. He put on his coat and then jumped in the water and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples were like, it's not that far. We'll just row the boat in. So we took the boat in, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got, when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have. <laughs> I think this is funny. Jesus says, bring some of the fish which you have caught. <laughs> like it was them that did it. Bring some of the fish that you caught that I kind of put in your net for you. Simon Peter went up and drew the net off land full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus is basically cooking breakfast for them. None of his disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. They fully knew who it was. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, these are three different times that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. Uh, twice they're running and hiding in a room, and then the third time they're running and trying to hide in their careers. They're trying to go back to their old life again. Now, what I find and what kind of sparked this, we were having a conversation. I was having a conversation with Carol, and I was talking about the youth and how I was asking about that and where we find our security. And then she asked me a really good question. Well, how do you define success? And if you don't define it by money and by uh, by opinions of people, how you define success, what does a successful Christian, Christian look like? And I said, I don't know. I have to think about that. And so I did. And I, I stayed up late last night and then woke up early this morning thinking more about it and then reading and praying about it. And what I find is, there's two things that I find is, I don't know that you can necessarily identify that from the outside 100%, but I also know that the overarching theme would be love. I think that that's what the Bible tells us, that's, that's how we know the disciples is because they love. I think there are many things that we can do that outside of the love of Christ are just things that we do. Any good Samaritan can be a good Samaritan. Any good person can be a good person, do good things. But it's knowing the love of the Father and sharing that love with other people that I think identifies us, if you could put it as identified. But as far as successful goes, I don't think you can be more successful than being born again, really. After that, that's, I mean, you can't get any more successful than that. So I guess the heart of that is, I, or, or really the, 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 the problem that I found is because of life and I'm married and we have kids and we get into some interesting conversations for some reason at night my wife wants to talk to me at night and I don't know why because and I don't know if this is every man but the three guys that I talk to about this kind of stuff all agree with me that guys don't like to talk at night does any okay and women do I, I don't understand and most, most of the time what happens is Trace will begin to talk to me and I'll go uh huh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're going to sleep aren't you huh and should say, forget it. And then I, I wake up early, and I'd like to talk in the morning, but there's no way I'm waking her up because it's not as nice as what I would do. And she's not in here, so I hope she doesn't kill me. But she doesn't like to get up in the morning. But what happens is we get caught up in our lives, and sometimes we miss that time, that one-on-one -on -one time when we're talking about the kids and we're doing this kind of stuff, and we begin to find these false securities. We lock our deadbolt, and we say, well, we're not going here. We want to make sure the kids are safe here, and we do these things. But we have these false senses of security. We won't swim in this lake because there's alligators, but we'll drive 80 miles an hour on the interstate, <laughs> and think that we're safe. We lock a deadbolt, and truth be told, people can get through deadbolts if they want to. If someone wants to come in your house, they can come in your house. But we have this false sense of security, and I think it's, and I, I'm thankful to be in America, 
and to be an American, but we have this American mindset that gives us these false senses of security. We think that our 401k has got to secure and that our house, we've even had discussions about this lately. What if this whole tiny house movement, what if we sold our house and just had a house that was paid for and we don't have this, because we're caught up in ministry and work and all these different things. We've got this false sense of security, don't we? We lock our doors and we think that we're safe, but God never promised us. Jesus never said we're going to be safe. Eternally, we're safe. Spiritually, we'll be safe. He promises us that. But physically, he never promises us safety. Never. Fast forward just, just to verse 18. This is after he reinstates Peter. He says, Truly I say unto you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. He's talking to Peter now. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird, will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. What kind, of, what kind of motivational speech is that? When you were young, you could do what you want, but now you're going to follow me and you're going to die. Now follow me. Now this is, this is the Jesus that we follow. He doesn't tell us that we're going to be safe. He just tells us that eternally we'll be safe. We're going to be good. Now what I find is, I find myself as a father looking at my kids and I go, well, I want my kids to be safe. But then as they get older, I begin to see, especially in Trinity, we don't have filters on our computers and stuff at home. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you have filters. I think it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But for me, I try to, and as much as I can, open communication with our kids to make sure that they know. And so far, it's worked pretty well. When, when we have things that they see that they know aren't right, they come to me, and I, and I tell them to, come tell me if you think something's wrong, and we'll talk about it. There wasn't that long ago, <laughs> Jordan just like said the random cuss word in the living room to us, and we didn't realize it, and I was like, wait a minute, she just said that? And it was funny because Trinity asked her like three times, and she repeated it. I was like, stop asking her. She keeps saying it. And, uh, and so we just told her, and for them, bad words are stupid, and you know, they don't, they don't even think of real bad words. Like I grew up saying a lot of bad words like that, um, much worse than stupid. But anyway, so we try to open communication with them because my fear is that we guard them a little too much and that they don't really begin to see exactly what's going on around them. So I guess when I was thinking about what identifies a, a Christian more would be that, that selflessness and looking for other people. And that's what I try to teach our kids too is, look, it's not all about you. This, this, even, even this love of the Lord has given you to share with people. It's not given for you just to hoard up and keep. He's saying that this life, even Chris going to Honduras, is not necessarily safe. This doesn't mean that we're going to have air conditioning every time we come to church on Sundays. But eternally, we're safe. We don't know, we think, I really do see this false sense of security. We don't know what our organs, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, we don't know what our organs are doing. We don't know when they're going to stop or when something else is going to happen. This life is temporary. This bios life is temporary. And you've heard me say it before, one out of every one person physically dies. Statistically speaking, they're not going to make it out of this life alive. But eternity doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. And what I want to encourage you to be is not afraid. The, Lord, the scriptures tell us, the Lord does not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. I think when we go out of this place and we begin to see people, we're going to be called to do things, and I'm going to call on you guys to do things that may seem sketchy sometimes. But in the same way we take, we take that Jeep off the road onto the place that it's supposed to be, and it begins to function properly and begins to do the things that it was designed to do. When you guys step out of some of the comfort that we begin to... to to see is this false security. Listen, there's nothing wrong with 401ks and savings and retirement, but what if God asked you to give your retirement away today? I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying, what if that happened? What if you really felt for the Lord and you prayed about it and he said, I want you to give, I want you to cash out your 401k and give it to this person. That's, 
not very sane thinking. You've worked your whole life for this. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but, but do we put more faith in our money and our homes than we do the Christ that died for us? And I'm not trying to put you in a weird position or make you feel bad about it. I just want you to see a little bit of perspective of what this kingdom looks like. It's not safe. It's not always the safe path. But I tell you what, it's, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed off-roading that day. It was kind of sketchy, and it was a little weird. Um, and there were times when our friend got stuck, and we had to call somebody to come pull him out, and we got tipsy a few times. But it, we were... <laughs> not, tip, not tipsy. Not tipsy. The other tipsy. Like off kilter. Is that what you... Th- no, just- <laughs> but uh, that was a different off-roading... No, I'm just kidding. But the... Uh, but the thing is, we operate where we're called to operate in, and he breathed life into us in the beginning. We broke that covenant, and he gave us a new covenant that he paid for. And when he breathed life into us again, that's a new life that now we function in. Now, that new life we function in runs parallel with the life that we're living, bios life. This is divinity crashing into humanity. This is reality, God's reality, crashing into our reality. So these things happen together. Um, we watch, and you guys watch Stranger Things? <laughs> we watched it's like the upside down there's like upside but it's a lot better and not quite as dark <laughs> but anyway there's a there's a reality that's going on right now I'm always reminded of the matrix because it was a really good movie but there's there's something going on that you can't see and when you tap into that you begin to see that there's bigger and better things that you're called for and not just working all the time and going through these things this is why when we get to a place where, where Tracy and I are not talking and we're just talking about the kids and just talking about finances and just talking about these kind of things, we've got to break away and say, okay, we need to find a babysitter and we need to go out on a date. We need to spend some time together and talk about us and talk about life and where we're going and where the ministry's going, where these things are happening. Because we can get caught in these same ruts that all of you guys do. I'm preaching to myself just as much as I am you. We can get caught in this false sense of security that money is what's going to keep us. Our house is going to keep us safe. Those deadbolts are going to keep bad people out. And I'm okay. Listen, if you're not working, if you're not moving in your divine calling, now this is, this is secondary. We've talked about primary purpose and secondary purpose. Just like Dawn doing what she does and Lonnie doing what she does and Katie and, and our, our worship team doing what they do. And they're working and moving in something greater than themselves. If you want to identify a Christian, you identify them by love and doing something greater than themselves, going outside of, of, of being self-serving and self-seeking. Now, I had a little bit more to say, but I'm burning up up here and I know you guys are hot. Um, but I want to encourage you, just, just think about that. As we go out of this place, I want to encourage you to really think about your ultimate calling above your secondary purpose. Now, you all have secondary purpose, and we all have different gifts that we do. But I, I want to pray, and I want, to, I want to, to help you see that God has something more secure for you than retirement, 401K, your house, your deadbolts. He has something better for you than all those things, and we don't need to be afraid. This is not a, this is not a, um, this is not, it doesn't sound as encouraging. I know you guys are going, this, this is it. This is all you got. But I want to tell you that this is important that we see this. I mean, I really want us to see this because as we go out, we've got, we've got all these things planned coming out and we've been six months into this thing. I'm reevaluating how church looks and ministry can get messy sometimes. Church attendance can be pretty. We can dress up and come to church, especially when the air condition's working. But we begin to get into ministry and it's coming pretty, pretty, pretty rapidly. We're going to begin to get our feet wet and begin to get into some of this stuff with these outreaches. And uh, I want to encourage you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it may take you outside of what you think is comfortable. So, guys, stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you. I'll get you out of this heat, and we'll figure out what the air condition, what's going on with the air condition, get it fixed. Um, 
Father, I thank you for this time, even though uh, it was a little warmer than we expected. Father, I thank you for, for the time that we could worship you and we could, uh, we could seek your face today, Father. We know that you're with us always, and we just, it's just a greater revelation of who you are. Every time we come in this place, we just realize it more and more. Father, that you are with us always. And as we go out of this place, I just want to encourage everyone in here to, uh, to look outside of themselves, to look for people that they can build up and encourage, Father, that you can, you can just pour out blessings on them so they can pour out blessings on other people. Father, I, I, I encourage everyone in here, listen, God's not against possessions or money or having things. He just doesn't want those possessions to possess, to possess you. Listen, just as I told the youth Wednesday night, when you're free um, from the approval of others and, and money and these things, you're not a slave to those things anymore. You're not bound to them anymore. And in the same way, when we're free from those things, it doesn't mean we don't get to have them. It just means we're free from them, that we can give them. Father, just as we talked about an offering, you're a giver, so you made us givers. It's not, not that, that you need money, Father, but it's that you created us to be loving, giving beings, and you've breathed that life into us so that we can do that. So, Father, we have open hands to receive all the blessings from you. But, Father, we leave our hands open so that we can give them out as well. Father, thank you for supplying all our needs, everything we need, Father. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.